steps, but the thing is, they're not logically laid out anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think I've done it. I think I'm, I think this was the last step, but hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, let's. Your questions. Yeah, let's knock this out. So, first and foremost, um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Um, for the folks that are joining us, this is Ron from New Record Day with Steve Guttenberg, the Audiophiliac. And what what this is is this is going to basically be episode number one of a series of me reaching out to different Hi-Fi YouTube reviewers. And just asking them questions, um, extending the olive branch, if you will, getting to know them, finding out more about who they are and what they do. And um, that's what this is about. So today's episode, Steve Guttenberg. I met Steve for the very first time at, Ex- at Expona. And uh, Steve, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time chatting with you and getting to know you. And it was it was really uh, cool to be able to meet you in person for the first time. Well, same here. But yeah. I, I, in a way, I'm honored to be the first, but I also feel like I'm like, this is a test, right? Like you're going to work out all the kinks on me. Unfortunately, what you do after this are going to be a lot better. Unfortunately for you, that is true. <laughs> that oh, is definitely well, true. Okay. Um, so I appreciate it. So let's just jump right in. We have 10 questions sure. that we're going to ask you. We're going to just, you know, just go right with it. So, all right. All right. So question number one that I have, and by the way, and I want to be very transparent about this. I did send these questions to Steve beforehand because I wanted to give him a chance to kind of gather his thoughts. I didn't want to go cowboy with this. So <laughs> he knows what these questions are, and I wanted him to be able to kind of reflect and think about what it is that he wants to say. So... And remember, it's not a test. It's not like we're cheating. No, no cheating. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Um, So so question number one, and I genuinely want to know this because I know that you have a pretty good library of records. So my question for you is somebody broke into your apartment and your house and they jacked all of your records. All of your LPs are gone. 33s, 45s, gone. You do not own one record. What is the first album that you would need to replace? Well, you, you know, it's funny because I, I think it's a fantastic question, but the idea of a thief robbing records is kind of a, kind of weird because this would be like an audiophile music thief. I'd like to meet Ron, that Ron from New Record Day jacked all your records. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be a great interview, right? But anyway, the answer to your question is uh, Thelonious Monk, Big band and quartet. Okay. Beautiful. I got to tell you why. Okay. Because that record was the beginning of me being a serious listener. Mm. And <clears throat> there was something about Monk's music that it's not supposed to be easy. It's not easy jazz. It's not li- easy listening jazz. But the, the, the playfulness of it really appealed to me. And I was maybe 12 years old. Mm. <clears throat> and it started me on a journey. That record, definitely. Awesome. I would need that. Awesome. You started uh, the YouTube gig about a year and a half ago. What led to that decision? Well, it is kind of a long and winding road because I have been on a bunch of CNET podcasts, but the one that's my favorite one, which no longer exists, unfortunately, was called The 404. Like, you know, like an error message kind of mm. four four. And it was a comedy slash tech talk show. And it was on it maybe 60 times in 10 years. Mm. And I just had fun doing it. 
sometimes it was a video podcast, sometimes it was audio only, but it, it was a blast to do. And when that was sort of winding down, I said, you know, I want, I want my own. I want to do my own. And I was bugging the people at Cena to let me have one. And it was like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then I thought, you know, if I just start my own YouTube channel and I make my own, they'll see what it is I'm trying to do. Mm, and they, like rather that. than try to explain it, what it is, I just make them and then they get it, right? Mm. And then I realized, no, I don't need them to get it. I, I like doing this on my own. I don't really need CNET to, to, to be part of this thing. And that's it. I just, I just really like doing it. I like being a guest on other people's. I enjoy doing the one with you at Expona. Mm. But to do it my own thing, my own way, mm. and basically be free, yeah. Uh, the freedom of it compared to being a writer. I've been writing about audio for 22 years. And when you're writing for other people, you're fitting into their format. You know, it's never really you. So this is the first thing that I've ever done that I have total control over and I can do whatever the hell I want. Mm. And that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big, that is a really big thing for me. I, I mean, I, I guess if you're not in that situation, you, know, you might not quite understand what I'm saying, but mm. It's so That's true. Coming from. It's so true. A Amen. I, I I couldn't have said it better. I completely completely agree with you. All right. So next question. Um, I I get a lot of emails about, hey Ron, what speaker should I buy? What speaker should I buy? And I always think that that's kind of a weird question, but. Um, I can only imagine how many of those emails that you get. So. Look, here's the deal. I know that you you probably don't love the idea of telling somebody what speaker they should buy. I think that they I need don't to, like doing that. Don't no, like no. doing that. But no. let's kind of spin this <laughs> this way. I'm going to just shoot a bunch of different budgets at you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you what speaker would you buy? Not necessarily what others should buy, but what would you buy? So that's I, really good that the way you worded that, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I like that. Thank you. So, but wait, wait, wait. You you started with a five hundred dollar speaker. Yes. Right. Five hundred. I under. want to start with a fifty dollar speaker. <laughs> okay. Here comes the date and stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. And the first one is the the um, the Dayton Audio B six five two Air. Okay. Which is around fifty dollars a pair. And uh, I'm a big fan of the non-air version, but the air for 50 bucks or so, I, I reviewed it six or eight months ago in the context of another system. And the highest compliment I can pay to any product I ever review is that I keep listening to it after I've written a review. Mm. That's as good as it ever gets, right? This speaker, I kept thinking, this is so good. Why am I still listening to this $50 speaker? I got other stuff to do, mm. but I just, I liked it. It drew me in and it's just incredible for $50, $50 or so. Awesome. I'll have to order up a pair and check them out. You should? Definitely. Yeah. Cool. So since you went off road, do we have, do we have other steps before we get to 500? No, <laughs> no, like, no. We're, we're going to go from 50 to 500. You're like, and now Ron, $60, $70. <laughs> no, this All isn't right. the uh, multi-part series here. Cool. Cool. So, so $500, what speaker are you buying? $500, easy choice. The Klipsch RP600M, awesome. $550 actually. Awesome. My speaker of the year for 2018. Yep. yep. I, I talked to Jill and I'm I'm hoping to get my grubby hands on a pair to check those out because I'm I'm definitely curious about those guys. So that's cool. Um if you had a thousand dollars to spend, what speaker are you buying? 
the zoo dirty weekend dirty weekend okay okay zoo audio awesome uh 20 and 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 also in that same thing or so the 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 also the they also ran would be the magnapan 0.7 okay panel. yeah i was fourteen hundred dollars but it's close enough close enough yep okay cool fair enough yeah i love the 0.7 actually um a thousand bucks the golden ear triton uh-oh but i can't remember now nah, see that one i didn't write down what is the triton the skinniest little tower. Do you know what that is? Uh, I should, uh, and I'm drawing a blank because I did. I did review one of their towers, and it was a skinny little guy. It's probably it's, how embarrassing. I think it's like oh, the yeah. seven. I think it's called <laughs> the seven. Okay. And I think it's. I think it's fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and those those speakers really give you so much. It's like you want you want bandwidth, no problem. Like you got it, and they they're transparent as heck. So that's really cool. Yeah. So I like those. <clears throat> okay, cool. Um, what, where are we at? Five grand, so five five thousand. No, we went to five. Oh wait, no, twenty five hundred. Excuse me. Twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. The uh, the Klipsch Heresy three. Heresy three. That's the little guy of the Heritage line, right? That's, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a little. It's only twenty four inches high. Yeah. But what's incredible about it is, first of all, I did a piece about it a couple of days ago. The heresy came out, the original heresy came out in 1957. That's crazy. Imagine it's That's still crazy. in production. That's never awesome. went out of production. Yeah. It's a it's a three-way speaker with a compression horn tweeter, compression mid-range. Now there's there's a lot of speakers with some version of horn tweeters, mm-hmm. but compression mid-range? Yeah. Mm, not for $2500. Right. Okay. So. Okay. It's great. Awesome. Um Five thousand bucks. Uh, Harbeth M, which stands for monitor, thirty point two. Okay. Okay. Cool. Sorry. No problem. No problem. Um, Ten thousand dollars. We're moving up. JBL S thirty nine hundred, another horn speaker, and uh, you know JBL got the horn thing down. Yeah. At all price ranges. Yeah. And uh, this one, which is like a largest tower speaker, it has an ease to it. You know, some people think that horn speakers are kind of shouty and bright. This one, no. And neither is the Heresy, by the way. I don't think of that as a bright speaker. But the JBL 3900 has got this ease. It's seductive. Mm. It's got power to spare when I say it. I mean, it can play loud without, you know, sounding like it's straining ever. Yeah. Really good for movies. And, uh, and of course, rock and roll, but also classical music. Really wonderful, wonderful speaker. Okay, cool. All right, so that was our, I'm getting $10,000. Okay, so now, now we're, now we're really moving up 50,000 bucks. 50,000. Well, this isn't quite 50,000, but the Alta Audio Titanium Hestra, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. You know Alta Audio? I'm I am familiar. I've mm. I've only heard their little guys at at, at the shows. So Oh um, no, no. This is this is relatively large. This is a big boy. Yeah. And as it's it should a dipole be. for mid range and tweeter. And it's just juicy and big. I mean spatially it makes a huge but really incredible image. I I was listening to this at a dealer in New York and he was playing a Duke Ellington record that I've heard um gazillions of times 
And it just sounded so much more like live music wow. than I've ever heard before. I mean, just staggering how good it was. Wow. Knocked out. Awesome. Awesome. All right, last one. Uh hundred thousand bucks. What speaker? What speaker are we buying? <laughs> what speaker would I buy? Um, you know, a few months ago I wouldn't have had one that I could really feel good about, but now I do. It's an Italian company. They're just starting in the US. They've been around for a while, but they're just coming into the US. Is the name of the company is Desis. Mm. D-I-E-S-I-S. Mm. They make horn speakers with open baffle woofers and sometimes mid-ranges. And their top model is called the Roma. Mm. And it's exactly $100,000. Perfect. Amazing. Perfect. There's a list, folks. So there you have it. Next question. This is officially question number four. So I... <laughs> I I'm exhausted already. Yeah, right. Um, so question number four would be, what makes the bigger difference? A pre-amplifier or a power amplifier? Um, you could argue either way, but I would say the bigger difference is the power amplifier mm. because the pre-amplifier go, you know, is 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 hooked up to the power amplifier, and the load that the power amplifier creates for the preamp is relatively a simple equation. Preamplifiers driving power amplifiers. Yeah. Fairly simple, not 100%, but the, but the relationship between a power amplifier and a speaker is way more complex. Yeah. So having the right amp for the right speaker, that gets that, that is fairly complicated, especially with higher-end speakers. And um, so I would say the amp's going to make a bigger difference most of the time for that reason. I agree with you. Um, yeah, that's I'm good. I'm so glad you agree. With yeah. That's been my experience, honestly. And it, and it just kind of happened naturally as I was reviewing as I was like, I think, I think a power amp does make more of a difference. So yeah, we agree. Um, okay. So next question, kind of along the same lines, sort of, if, if you could only choose one integrated amplifier to live with, like you're done, this is it. You get one, you don't get two, you don't get three, <laughs> sorry. You get one integrated amplifier, what are you going to pick? Well, it's nice that you didn't put a price on it. I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so then I would pick uh, the the bigger of the, I think they make two, but the bigger of the uh, Pass Labs integrated amplifier. Okay. Because okay. it's more likely to drive anything. That's yeah. Reasoning. Okay. Beautiful. That's awesome. Um, these next two questions are cousins, and I'm I'm really interested to hear what you have to say on these ones. But uh, first question, question number six is, when is digital superior to analog? I like the when part. <laughs> the I when thought about these, Steve. I thought about like them. is no, nope. uh, you know, digital superior. To, but when, when is it? Is it superior? Ooh. That's good. Hmm. Well, you know, I should have thought about that because I, I, I saw the questions. I wasn't thinking about the when part. Is it yeah. superior? Yeah. Uh, well, it's certainly superior when you're in your car or, you know, <laughs> flying to Chicago. That's you know, no true. No doubt about that. Yeah, I can't but, bring your turntable with you. Right. Yeah. So you see, you see, this is why I make the big bucks. Yeah. Right. I always have an answer for something, <laughs> and, and hopefully one that makes people laugh. Um, 
I would say seriously, I think if um, if you're if you're really looking for maximum dynamic range in an audiophile recording, uh, and I specify that because dynamic range in non-audiophile recordings is is almost never really there. So yeah. in an audiophile recording where you want maximum dynamic range and maximum uh, I was going to say realism, but I don't want to go that way. Maximum dynamic range, a digital recording would be better. Okay. Because <clears throat> it can handle extreme, you know, from extreme quiet to extreme loud. Sure. Um, but I'm hedging. But that would be it. For, as for analog uh, being uh, when, uh, here's a snarky answer. Uh, when I'm listening to music, um, analog just sounds more like music to me. Yeah, and 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 one of the things I was walking around Exponent asking people is, isn't it interesting, or it is interesting to me, that when I listen to a, a well-recorded record on a good turntable, it sounds like what I imagine high-resolution digital should sound like, but almost never does. Yes, right. And it's interesting that the, that that example of analog uh, sounding so good, you know, digital. When digital is really great, people say it sounds like analog. Yeah, it doesn't go the other way. <laughs> it doesn't never goes the other way. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, you you skipped ahead and you did answer that second question. So the second question that I was going to ask is when is when is um, analog superior to digital? And I I completely agree with you. So when you're listening to music, when you're listening <laughs> to music, when you're when you're done for the day, you're relaxed, you want to put on a record, and I mean we. We talked briefly about this, and I grew up listening to digital, and when I got into listening to records, something actually changed about the experience. I was no longer skipping songs looking for random mm -hmm, stuff. It's mm -hmm, like there was mm -hmm. something that was now intentional about, well, it's too much of a hassle to change the dang record, so I might as well just sit here and actually listen, but... <laughs> You know, it's like okay. it's it's kind of interesting how that happens. But what did happen in that moment as it as a you know, first time listening to vinyl is like I was like, I'm actually enjoying this. Like I'm enjoying not having like there was freedom in not searching for the next song or skipping ahead. Mm. It's like mm -hmm. I can relax now and kind of really soak this in. And yeah, so awesome, man. That's fantastic. Question number eight. How would Steve Guttenberg, the audiophiliac, define good sound and what makes a system sound right to you? Well, kind of what we were just talking about with listening to records. I mean, good sound, I, I think that, you know, I'll put it to you this way. When I sold audio, I made a, my living selling high-end audio for 16 years, right? And then... I would talk to my customers a couple of days after they bought something. And when they would say words to the effect, oh, I stayed up all night, I was playing this record, then I had to play that record or CD or whatever. That's a bullseye. That's mm. what good sound is. Mm. When they bought a, a $5,000 system or a $50,000 system, and then after they listened to it for half an hour, they said, I don't know what's on TV. What, is, what should we have? For? That's a bad system. <laughs> I'm with you. If it, if it doesn't pull you in, yeah. it's not good, no matter how expensive it is or what other people say about that. That, that is like the single most important defining character of what good sound means uh, to me. 
And that was the question, right? That that's that's what it's about. But I mean, I think it being you know reasonably flat and reasonably dynamic and reasonably having good separation and no no brightness is going to burn mm. your ears and not too much space. Yeah, all that stuff is really good. But perfect. It, it it's really about does it pull you in? Yeah, I love that answer. Thank you. Um, okay, so I want to talk about speaker measurement specifically. There's a lot of different measurements out there, but we're going to hone in specifically on speaker measurements. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but having watched your videos, I've noticed that you seem to be somewhat allergic to the idea of speaker measurements having much value, but I want to clarify this. Can we clarify if that only applies to personal enjoyment? Like, do you like the speaker? Do you not like the speaker? Who cares about measurements? Or are you suggesting that the manufacturers manufacturers should just toss out all their measurement gear and just trust their ears and make speakers and everything will just turn out okay? <laughs> you know, the, the thing is um, – it's a complicated question. So the part about manufacturers using measurements, I think that it, it depends on the manufacturer and how they measure, and, and most importantly, how they interpret the measurements. Yeah. So Andrew Jones, um, you know, he started his speaker, you know, business career at KEF. Yeah. And for years, the first, I don't know how many years he was at KEF before he designed anything. His job initially was measuring things. Right. Measuring CAFs and measuring yes. other companies, speakers for CAF. So he seemed to gather, you know, get, get the handle on this, that how something measures is one thing. How you interpret what the measurement is telling you versus what your ears are telling you, that's an art. That's a skill. Got it. It's not just straight engineering because it, it requires interpretation by the engineer to figure it out. Because Andrew has said to me more than once that when he uh, designs a driver, let's say a tweeter, mm -hmm. and he gets the prototype in and he measures it. If it doesn't measure the way he anticipated it would, he the next thought is maybe I'm not measuring it correctly. Ah. Not that there's something wrong with the driver. It might be, but he said, I, I'm going to try some other ways of measuring it and see where this leads me. Not like it's, it has this peak at 8K and I got to do something about it. No, it's like it requires thought. It requires understanding a depth of knowledge to know what a measurement means. And, and that's why people who amateurs who measure products and discover fatal flaws who knows how they're measuring them, yeah. right? They have no basis of knowledge. So their opinions about it are, are kind of screwy. You, you know, I think one of the most interesting things about measurements, and I wish I could say I stumbled upon myself, but I didn't, but I'm going to repeat what it is, is that um, Jude Mansella from HeadFi, it's a headphone site. Yep, yep. He talked about this really interesting effect because he's got this huge community of headphone lovers, right? Yeah. And he says a new headphone comes out. It hasn't yet been measured by the by the geeks out there on the internet, right? A new headphone comes out, and people start talking about what it sounds like. Oh, I love the sound. Yes. You know, they're going on and on about. It. And then a week or two later, people start doing measurements, and then those are on the internet. And he said, and then when the measurements this class, thing's awful. Like, this is right, terrible. <laughs> right, then they go, oh my god, yeah. Oh, uh, wait a minute. 
a week ago before you knew how it measured, <laughs> you liked it. Now that you see the measurements, you you don't like it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Sure. Too many people out there with you know a little bit of knowledge is dangerous thing. Yeah. It, it, it's scary, you know. Um, I've talked to a headphone designer staying with headphones a little bit. I know you want to talk about about speakers. Yeah. But headphones designers tell me that in the course of designing something, they see problems and they say, you know, but it sounds better this way. We can engineer out the so-called problem, but we're losing something in the process of doing that. So maybe we should just let it go. Awesome. Because I think the other thing about people interpreting measurements is there's a kind of a gotcha kind of aspect to it. Like, ooh, look, they missed that. You know, sure. Like you're smarter than the guy or the woman who designed this thing. Yeah. I don't really think so. I'm sure it happens, but it's not usually the course of things. Which leads to my problem with measurements. Isn't that it's speaker companies or headphone companies measure products? No, I think engineers, good engineers, can use those measurements and learn from them and make better speakers. Absolutely, positively. Okay. I think the problem is is that when consumers reading magazines or looking at websites or YouTube channels are are distracted by measurements and and conclude that that you know product A that measures better than product B is the better sounding product right. to them yeah. therein lies the rub because my my way of summing this up is right I'm a 100% subjective reviewer right yeah. never measuring anything yep. except the box size yeah so I don't measure right <laughs> and and Steve writes a review or does a video and says this is an incredible product you know you should go and buy it, basically, is the subtext, right? Then this other person on the other side is a 100% objective reviewer, measures, processes, deals with all the graphs and charts and everything, and says product A is better than product B. Now, at the end, I could recommend buying this product, and the, and the person buys it and says, God, Guttenberg is an idiot. He got it completely wrong. Or Guttenberg is a genius. He described it perfectly, right? Right. It could go either way or in the middle. Sure. But the same for the 100% objective. It's not like because that is scientific and objective that the answer will relate to what the person buys and they will agree. They may hate the one that measures well. I mean, the perfect example of that, well, not the perfect example, but a really good example is the Sennheiser HD 800 a headphone that measures extremely well. I own them. But a I'm, lot of people, yep. including me, find it really kind of hard and analytical. Yeah. I, I <laughs> so, love them. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm with you. I hear you. Interesting. Okay. Sorry for the long answer. No, it's a great answer. And I think, I think it's a, I almost feel like we could do an entire episode talking about this, um, but we won't. We, well, we just did one. I think that was an entire episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that topic is very interesting, and I think that you do bring up some very valid points. So, thank you for clarifying your stance on that. I that that helps me understand kind of where your head is at and why you feel the way that you do. All right, question number ten. Last question: If if you give someone getting into hi-fi for the very first time, um, if you could give them one piece of important advice so they, they're getting into hi-fi for the first time you want to give them one piece of important advice what would that advice be um listen listen without multitasking and uh 
the, the more someone listens intently, focused listening, whatever you want to call it, the more they will come over time to understand what kind of sound they're looking for. Mm. It requires thought and it does require, it's, it's like learning about, you know, wine or cheese or something, right? You have to get into it and focus on it. I mean, if you're just, you know, gulping down wine at a party, you're not going to probably learn a lot about wine. But if you say, you know, I want to learn about wine, well, it requires some, some experience and, and focus attention on it. And you will start to understand what your taste is. Mm. I love that answer. It's not because people always say, when I was in selling, they'd say, I want to buy something good. That was that, that some version of that would be the way most people describe it. Mm. But then the second question is good to who? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you have to figure out what exactly it is. And there's no, you know, snap your fingers answer to that question. It requires listening. And if you find yourself listening and saying, you know, I love, uh, when I listen to music, I'm just giving an example. If I, when I was to music, I really focused on the singer's voice and their expressiveness, and you know how much they're putting into it. Okay, so you're you're a, a mid-range kind of listener, and that's really important to you. And you connect to that, you know. And other people say, "Well, that, I like bass. I want to feel that yeah, bass pounding on that my impact." Right. Other guy says, "I want to play music like crazy loud. I want <laughs> it to be, you know, like being at a concert." Okay, so. People figure out what it is they want, not just good. They want something that's good for them. Perfect. I love that. Do, what do I win? I got <laughs> all the questions right. <laughs> you win a you win a bonus question. Uh, does oh. pi- does pineapple belong on pizza, Steve? No. <laughs> oh, God, no. No. I'm from New York. No way. Not a you chance. Get arrested for that. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck are you doing? Steve, thank you so much. I definitely do appreciate your time. I appreciate your experience, your knowledge, and um, I'm excited to get this out for our viewers and so they can kind of get to know you a little bit better. Um, I will leave uh, the links in the box down below for Steve's channel, folks. So please subscribe to his channel. Check him out. Um, he posts like— And my CNET blog. And, my and your CNET blog. Um, yeah, you post like 72 videos a day, so there's a lot to— yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to— <laughs> Man, a lot, good— A lot of me. Good for you, man. I'm I'm thoroughly uh, humbled and impressed by your work ethic of, But wow. I'm going to be impressed by how much better these these things get after me. Because, <laughs> you know, you'll have learned so much by doing it with me. Well, I appreciate you, man, and uh, thank you so much for your time. I, I really do appreciate it. Total pleasure. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay. All right. Be well. Be well.